Welcome to episode 69, part one, we'll call it, because we've got another episode coming later this week. But for now, this is our holiday special, and it is just going to be me today, folks. It is just going to be me. So Jeff is off celebrating his uh, holiday with his family. We're giving him a break this week, but we're going to be back most likely on Saturday in order to provide a DFS preview, talk about some of the things going into the weekend, and obviously try to help people uh, enjoy week 16 if you're not in the finals. Uh, you know, obviously we hope that we that you guys are in the finals. That would be great. Um, you know, I have a bunch of leagues. Jeff has a bunch of leagues. Uh, Jeff is in the finals in our main home league. So, you know, you, we've been giving you guys updates on that uh, and on his progress there. So I'll let him uh, take his victory lap there as he, you know, progresses further into the playoffs there. So we'll get to that on Saturday. Um, you know, as we are ending the fantasy football season, uh, we're going to start to tune this episode, this podcast towards a more DFS you know, during the regular season, probably during the playoffs, uh, and just a pure NFL frequency. You know, we do a lot of NFL draft stuff. I can test a catch as well. So as we get closer to that, things will start to tune that direction when we're talking about the NFL as a whole, directions of franchises, that sort of thing. And this episode, we'll get in on that as well. So, um, Let's start with a quick SFBX update. Unfortunately, it's a quick update. Uh, you know, thank you guys for for following along the progress with the Scott Fishbowl 10 uh, team that we had from Contessa Catch. It was a stellar ride. It came to the end of the semifinals. Um, so to summarize, basically this season, we finished the regular season 87th out of 1,440 teams comprised of analysts, celebrities, and fans. Um Unfortunately, you know, in the semis, which was basically the top 10 teams from each of the 15 conferences compete, and then the top team of each of those pools moves on to the finals. So then it would be 15 finalists. So fortunately, did not make it out of the semifinal round. That is fine. Uh, you know, obviously having a ton of fun with it. Really good team. It just it was just turned into a culmination of a down week from some players, you know, injuries started to catch up. We had DK Metcalf with the in-game injury. We had no Antonio Gibson. We had, um, you know, Joe Burrow. We lost him many, many weeks ago. And so basically playing uh, without a real second quarterback option, without a real tight end option, because we lost both the tight ends at the, you know, week one of the season. So anyways, things kind of culminated there. But I got to say, I'm very excited uh, about you know, the, the showing we put out there, uh, you know, top 100 finish in the regular season, semifinals uh, appearance. So I hope to be back in SFB 11, uh, the 11th iteration of the Scott Fish Bowl. So we shall see. And so uh, moving on now to the Buffalo Bills. Obviously, Jeff and I, we'd like to talk a lot about the Bills. We're all Bills fans here. Um, this is the best year to be a Bills fan in probably 20 years, um, 25 years, maybe. This is really, really, really something. Uh, and, you know, the Bills have officially clinched the AFC East for the first time since the year we were born. Uh, I feel like a broken record at this point, but I want to talk about some of the things that I'm seeing from this Bills team in the midst of these games. We're seeing real consistency on these points as well. That's why it feels like a broken record. So, first of all, obviously starting with Josh Allen, the, the face of this franchise now, uh, one of the rising stars in the league, definitely. I, I think he should probably win most improved player. Um, I think that if there's like two or three talking points uh, that you hear most often in the NFL right now or on Twitter, one of them is Josh Allen's improvement. So I think that is a justified stance to have. 
But the good news is that Josh looks like a truly strong passer in the NFL now. And of course, he continues to offer dynamic ability with his legs. We know that that was already something that he had in his repertoire. Um, But we've seen enough from him at this point, I think, as a passer to feel like he can take us all the way if it all clicks around him. You know, is he going to overcome the Chiefs if the defense is like bottom five in the league? I don't I don't know that that is in his uh, range. I mean, it's in his range of outcomes, but I don't know that that's something we can count on or bet on. is he able to take a team with no uh, talent in the wide receiver core or um, or really, really, really bad offensive line? Is he able to have a top five offense with that situation? I don't know. But right now, we don't have that situation. We have a great defense that's finally playing like it. We have a talented, talented receiving core. I would say it's an elite receiving core. We have a good offensive line. And Josh makes that offensive line even better with his dynamism with his legs. So this is all to say that I think he's doing enough and has done enough to show that the Bills can really, really win and they can really go somewhere with him the way he's playing right now. So um, thankfully, the Bills have been good enough to avoid moments like I'm about to describe most of the year. But the last piece of the puzzle, I think, is going to be can Josh be this caliber of player at the end of the game on the last drive to seal the game or come back? He did this against Arizona. To his credit, you know, although what happened next was a miracle for the Cardinals, he did everything he could have. He threw a last second touchdown to to Stephon Diggs in the back of the end zone. Beautiful drive, beautiful play. Uh, And that's probably the best example we have of Josh Allen really, you know, or maybe most recent example we have of Josh Allen putting it all together in the exact singular moment when it counts. He wasn't trying to play hero ball uh, like he has in the past in his earlier uh, parts of his career. And, you know, he just got the job done and he did it in a way that we've seen him do all year, which is pass effectively to his great receiving weapons, not try to do too much and score. Um, Being the guy in Buffalo, being the guy in the NFL means being counted on to do this. The thing I'm describing with Arizona, win the game, basically, you know, we we didn't win the game, but we had the game winning play had uh, DeAndre Hopkins not made probably the play of the year. But uh, being the guy means you're going to be able to be counted on to do that over and over again. And come playoff time, this trait will be needed. I have no doubt. I mean, the Bills are a great team, but I but, you know, when you're getting everyone's best punch in the playoffs, everyone knows it's win or go home. Uh, These types of situations are going to come about more than they would even when you're playing a good team in the regular season. So moving on to the rest of the offense, I think it is obvious to everyone who watches a Bills game how dominant Stephon Diggs and Cole Beasley are. They continue to dominate and carve up defenses. They are two of the best route runners in the league. I think Stephon Diggs is the best route runner in the league. Uh, Jeff actually posted a poll that said, who's the best route runner in the league, Stephon Diggs or Cole Beasley? I replied, it's Diggs, but Cole Beasley's quicker. And I think you can see that. And the short area routes um, over the middle, doesn't matter who's guarding him. Cole Beasley gets separation. That is fantastic. I think Stephon Diggs does a little bit more in all uh, facets of the route tree. So I give him the edge, but they're both amazing. And, um, you know, this is I've talked about this a good bit on this podcast is like what I look for in an NFL receiver these days. It's not size speed freaks. That's great. You know, we'd like to see that that that's all well and good. But to move an NFL offense down the field, you need to be able to get separation. So it's not necessarily pure speed as much as it is is, uh, quickness. So the 40 time is important. We'd like to see a good 40 time. But if you lack the ability to separate and lack the ability to run an effective route and present a good target to the quarterback, then it's really ineffective. And, um, you know, maybe you can develop that in the NFL, but 
you'll take a hit when it when it comes to migrating. So anyways, Stefan Diggs and Cole Beasley, two guys that absolutely epitomize what I'm looking for. And that's why I was so thrilled when we got both of them. Another guy that has been really, really good this year, and that is in the absence of John Brown, who we already know is good. He was great last year in his first year in Buffalo and has been injured this year. Gabe Davis, the rookie, continues to impress in his first year in Buffalo, first year in the NFL. And, you know, John Brown's expected to be back soon, we think, thankfully. Uh, but Gabe Davis has really, really come on. And I will say this. I think Stephon Diggs and Cole Beasley are making themselves open. They are being extremely effective through their route running. And Josh Allen is finding them. Gabe Davis seems to be the the real beneficiary of this amazing offense from Brian Dable because it seems like every time Gabe Davis gets a gets a catch, it's something wide open for like a thirty yard touchdown. Uh, I think that he is being schemed open. I think that he is just like the the straw that breaks breaks the horse's back kind of thing for these defenses because it's like you all right, you're trying to lock down the best route run in the league, and then you've also got Cole Beasley in the slot. And if you got Dawson, Dawson Knox down the seam, and you've also got Josh's legs, and oh my God, there's Gabe Davis streaking down the sideline for 30-yard touchdown. Um, so I think Gabe Davis has been a revelation. I'm not sure that he is like maybe as good as his numbers suggest. Um, I wasn't crazy about him as a prospect. I think that he has some really good indicators for his future success. I think that he is exciting. I'm very thankful that he has exceeded my expectations. I just don't know that I would say like, oh my God, you know, he's having this incredible rookie season, I think that he's like really a, a product of this offense. And that's good. You know, that's good that he fits into the offense. So we'll see how he continues to progress. I would love to see him uh, really step into like a three wide receiver role, with, even, you know, with all these guys healthy, you know, maybe as Cole Beasley enters the twilight of his career in the next year or two, John Brown, if he continues to get hurt. I don't know, you know, it, it would be good at very least to have a contender for another, uh, for one of these three man spots. So um, moving on to the other side of the ball now, the defense has continued to progress and look more and more like the 2019 version of this Bills defense that was elite. I mean, if you remember coming into 2020, leaving 2019, coming into 2020, um, we were supposed to be carried by this defense. The defense was top three, if not if not the best. I think you could probably say it's Pittsburgh and Buffalo coming into this year in terms of the best defenses in the league. You know, you could also say New England, but if you factor in the COVID opt-outs, uh, you know, it, that obviously diminishes their their potent uh, potency on the defensive side of the ball. So this this Bills defense really, really disappointed early on. I mean, we were winning shootouts and that is awesome. That's a product of this offense and that's a product of, you know, Josh Allen's growth and all these players that we've already been talking about. But the defense was shutting teams down last year and we didn't need to win, you know, we by putting up like 35, 40 points. We didn't need to do that. We were putting up like 17, 21 and winning because the defense is holding teams to like 10 points. Um, obviously a little dramatized, but still. So now all of a sudden we're seeing this defense turn the ball or get turnovers, get sacks, get pressure on quarterback, shut down the run. It has been a really, really strong stint for this defense in the last couple of weeks. So I am excited for what this team looks like if this defense stays at this elite level, because if we've got an elite offense and Josh Allen playing at this level, and we've got these guys that are uncoverable and an amazing offensive mind, Brian Dable, and then you turn over to the other side of the ball and you've got this great defense, super talented, head to toe, finally healthy in the secondary, especially we're getting pressure. We're getting our rookie, A.J. Vanessa. Uh, we've got Ed Oliver producing. I think that this bodes very, very well for Buffalo when once we get to the playoffs, which we are absolutely doing now, you know, we've clinched the AFC East. 
Uh, I think that also, if this keeps up with, on defense, the Bills are truly the second best team in the AFC. I think they have a real shot against Kansas City. I don't know that I would give Buffalo the edge. I don't know that I'd give anyone the edge over Kansas City. You know, the way that Patrick Mahomes is playing, it feels like this this offense just like makes shit up every single week and it works and it like, you know, it just resets the whole offensive mindset of how can we get the ball in our playmaker's hands? And, you know, the, like the, the chess pass that uh, Mahomes did to Kelsey last week is just unbelievable. And um, I'll say this, I think the Bills probably have like maybe like 30, 40% chance against the Chiefs. Um, in a head-to-head matchup, and I think that's because the Chiefs' defense has exceeded expectations this year. They've been uh, better than people expected, and I don't think that anyone is really on par with this Chiefs' offense. So um, I would say that the Bills would have a good chance to to win, but I wouldn't favor them. So I think that is in a really good spot for Buffalo to be in, considering uh, you know the win total wasn't even uh, double digits for for Buffalo this year. So. Huge, huge, uh, successful regular season. Obviously, want to see this continue into the playoffs. Uh, hopefully, you know, hopefully it does. We'll continue to monitor and we'll continue to talk about it. All right. So moving on now to uh, a guy that I love to talk about. We talk about a good bit and it's for good reason. And that is Jalen Hurts. Um, you know, the Philadelphia starting quarterback now, rookie out of Oklahoma by way of Alabama from Texas, Jalen Hurts. Uh, He showed everyone in week 15 why I believed in him so strongly. This Cardinals team that he almost beat, almost tied at the last second, uh, you know, played a a strong, strong game after a rocky start. The Cardinals team is is a talented one. You know, it's hard to keep up with this offense and this defense is explosive. They have a lot of playmakers. um, And, you know, we also know that the weakness of the Eagles has been health on the offensive side of the ball. And that also leads to kind of a lack of consistency in the pass catchers um, and also lack of consistency from the offensive line. And one of my expectations was once Jalen Hurts comes into the lineup under center and instead of Carson Wentz, that the offensive line would be mitigated uh, a little bit more than it was with Wentz. And so, um, you know, reminder that this Cardinals seems really good. They barely beat out the Bills on that last second touchdown that we already talked about when we talked about DeAndre Hopkins earlier. Um, and that was a big accomplishment. So to come within a score at the last second of this Cardinals team was a really strong finish for Hertz in his reminder second start. So if, if we rewind a little bit, we go back to the first half. At halftime, he had three passing touchdowns in the first half after a slow start early on. You know, the first two drives were nothing to write home about. In fact, they were pretty poor. And I think Eagles fans were kind of rolling their eyes saying, oh, here we go again. This guy's not any different. Um, and, but, uh, you know, any sort of reaction like that was immediately proven wrong because Jalen Hurts then started to ball. He did not run as much early on as he had in week 14 in his first start against the Saints. Um, but he ran effectively. Um, he did, he did actually catch up to those kinds of, uh, volume numbers later in the game, but, uh, especially that touchdown helped from fantasy purposes, but, he also was throwing very effectively and very aggressively down the sideline. I mean, I think one of the talking points from that Week 15 game was the pass interference calls against Patrick Peterson down the sideline. I think he had like four of them against Alshon Jeffrey. And, you know, if, whether they were the right call or the wrong call, I think what I'm taking away is that uh, Jalen Hurts was willing to push the ball down the field. Jalen Ragor saw a season high in opportunity in Week 15 with Jalen Hurts under center and so i think this bodes well for this offense as a whole you know we saw carson wentz take shots every once in a while but 
he wasn't really putting, especially in the last couple of weeks, he wasn't putting this Eagles offense in a position to feel good about taking shots. Like when they were taking shots, the defense knew they were taking shots because they're already so far behind. Um, I, at least that's that's how I perceived it. And so Jalen Hurts provides that dynamism with his legs. We already knew that that was going to happen. The running game has gotten a boost since he has come under center. And then also the downfield passing, the intermediate passing has gotten better and better. And he's been really, really good, particularly on third and fourth downs when the game or when it really counts, when the game is on the line, that sort of situation. You know, we want to see a little bit more consistency on the early downs so that they don't have to put themselves in fourth downs and such. But still, um, I think his first four passing touchdowns of his career have all come on fourth down, uh, which is just so unbelievable. And um, I think the reason I said that this is why um, why I believed in him so strongly and it was shown in week 15 is that he he showcased all of the skill set that I saw on tape. I saw throughout his college career as he got better and better. But he also showcases leadership and, you know, he showcases poise despite his lack of experience. In his second start, he's within one score of a great Cardinals team uh, keeping up with them despite some of the deficiencies on the offensive side of the ball. One of the iconic plays from that game was Jalen Hurts uh, receiving the snap, having the ball a little bit low. Uh, One of the pass rushers pokes it out of his hands. He picks up the ball. And as he's getting tackled, finds Dallas Goddard for a first down, gets out of bounds. This is on the very final drive. So this was like, if you fuck this up, it's over. (laughs) So uh, anyway, really, really strong performance from Jalen Hurts in week 15. Obviously didn't come come with the win. I saw some people on Twitter saying, you know, uh, we're still one and one. Like, you know, that's not going to cut it. But from an Eagles fan perspective, if you're anything but optimistic and hopeful after seeing these these two starts from Jalen Hurts, you know, something's wrong with you. because this guy has given every indication that he can be a leader, he can be a starting quarterback. I think that the Dak Russell Wilson type scenario is playing out once again, where this smaller guy uh, with this uh, NF- modern NFL skill set, ability to run, ability to extend plays and find open receivers, gets uh, underrated in the draft again and gets slept on a little bit, and then a couple of years later, you're wondering how the hell you picked like five quarterbacks ahead of him. So. With that said, very, very excited to see Jalen Hurts continue. Um, and, you know, he didn't, um, as a fantasy asset, he's absolutely a QB1 with the Konami code on his side. You know, I'll be firing him up in any league that I can get him, uh, with the exception of, you know, over guys like Deshaun or Mahomes. Uh, I, I think you've got a case if you want to talk about him versus Lamar at this point, because um, the offense seems to be a little bit more consistent in Philadelphia right now, which is crazy to say after 2019. But, um, you know, I feel very good after two starts. <laughs> so a very small sample. I know it's early. I feel very confident in grading my take on Jalen Hurts as a top 10 prospect in the 2020 draft and QB3. I, I, I feel good about grading that well. Um, and so we'll see. We'll continue to monitor and, and see how that plays out. Now, another take that was on display in week 15 was uh, one that Jeff and I have been in unison on, which is that. Tony Pollard is greater than Ezekiel Elliott at this point. Um, You know, this is also a multi-layered take because we're also in consensus when we say Zeke should not have gotten the contract that he got, then he got. And uh, the Dallas Cowboys shouldn't have even kept Zeke once they got Tony Pollard. Why why take Tony Pollard uh, and he'd be, he looks so good when Zeke was holding out for this contract, then you pay Zeke and then you don't play Tony Pollard. And then every time Tony Pollard comes in, he looks better than, the guy who just paid $90 million over six years. 
Uh, to put it bluntly, Tony Pollard is a superior player to Ezekiel Elliott at this point. And the Cowboys should never have dealt out that contract as they did to Zeke. Pollard showcases explosiveness and reliability as a rusher, but also flashed far superior receiving ability to Ezekiel Elliott. And I think that that is really what it comes down to. You get a guy, you get him on a rookie contract, a running back, the most injury-prone position in the league, the, the, the position that is most susceptible to offensive line play, I would say, uh, because the offensive line is bigger is a bigger factor in the running game than individual rushing ability. So Zico Elliott um, has lived behind one of the best offensive lines in football during his career, and he's a good player. You know, he's he's a talented player. He can break tackles. Uh, he can be shifty in space, and at the same time, uh, I think Tony Pollard's more explosive at this point. I think Tony Pollard's a better receiver, and those two things are are much more important than anything else Zico Elliott offers with the exception of maybe pass blocking. And even then, apparently he wasn't very good in 2020 based on what I was hearing. So uh, fast forward now to his first start. Tony Pollard had six catches for 63 yards receiving. That's a pretty good game. I mean, no one would scoff at that. Uh, That's very effective for fantasy purposes, but also just shows he's an effective receiver despite the offensive deficiencies and the quarterback under center and sort of thing. Well, Ezekiel Elliott has been playing in this offense uh, all year. And he topped 33 receiving yards one time this season. 33. Now, Pollard in his first start had 63 on six catches. Zeke topped 33 receiving yards one time this season despite four instances of six or more catches. He had uh, six catches twice and eight catches twice. And he only topped 33 yards one time all season. Tony Pollard did it, uh, doubled that basically in his first start. Tony Pollard also had 12 carries for 69 yards and two touchdowns. That was his rushing line in his first start. Ezekiel Elliott has two rushing touchdowns one time this season, and he hasn't scored in his last eight weeks. Now, let's just put this in perspective here. Ezekiel Elliott, the guy who gets this mega contract for a running back, name value, all that good stuff. The offensive line crumbles after Dak's injury, uh, or the offense overall crumbles after Dak's injury, and the offensive line has not been the same. And Ezekiel Elliott really, really lost his pop. I don't think that he... I think this kind of proves the running backs don't matter argument in a sense. Because, uh, you know, if, if running backs did matter, then all these other deficiencies, Ezekiel Elliott should have been running for like 200 freaking yards. You know what I mean? It's like he should have been carrying this offense, and he wasn't. He wasn't able to. That's just not how it works in the NFL. Tony Pollard comes in. He's explosive. He's a dynamic in the, in the pass game. And guess what? He comes in and has a really effective game. I think the offense got a boost with him back there. Uh, you know, and, and his numbers were a little inflated by a 40-yard uh, touchdown right at the end of the game. Um, but at the same time, that's, you know, that's in Zeke's numbers as well, right? Like, you know, he's able to do that kind of thing if, you, if he uh, – if, or he has opportunity to do that kind of thing as well. So Tony Pollard's explosiveness was, on, explosiveness was on display there. And I think that this should really show people, A, you know, I've been saying Tony Pollard is a, is a dynasty buy – Say it on Twitter pretty uh, good bit. Um, I think he's probably his price has probably gone up at this point, but I still think he's a good buy because I think if the Cowboys watch that game and then they give Zeke another chance to come back in, if Zeke shows anything less than that, then it's a Zeke problem and not the offense. You know what I mean? So uh, I think we'll have to continue to monitor the Dallas running back situation because once Dak gets back in 2021, the starting running back, in Dallas is going to be a very, very lucrative role to have. That's actually why I was so high on Zeke this year, because with the exception of Christian McCaffrey, 
I didn't feel like there was a player that could be relied on more than Zico Elliott in fantasy. And, you know, that's because of the touchdown equity we expected. We expected him to have a, a large share of touchdowns in this offense, in this this offense to continue to live in the in the end zone under Dak Prescott's uh leadership. So I also I also thought that Zeke was going to be an effective receiver this year, or at the very least, a voluminous one. And that wasn't necessarily the case all year. I mean, he's like I said, he's had moments, but he hasn't really been very effective. So this is all to say, I think Tony Pollard is a better player at this point. I think he showed that in his first start. I think he will continue to show that if he gets uh, reps. And if the Cowboys go back to feeding like 90% of touches to Zeke Elliott, then they clearly don't know what's going on. Uh, or they're trying to justify this contract or they're just they're just tanking. You know, I don't know exactly what their motivation would be. But if you uh, give Zeke Elliott 90% of touches going forward, then you are doing something wrong. And so let's move on to uh, one more topic here, and that will be the Jets the Jaguars, and Trevor Lawrence, the first overall pick. So the Jets, Jags, and the first overall pick. That sounds like a children's movie uh, or children's book. Um, anyway, the Jets and the Jags uh, obviously are in competition to race for, to the bottom and uh, get that first overall pick, which is uh, you know expected to be Trevor Lawrence. I think that uh, it's pretty obvious at this point that the Jags are in a better position to do that because they have they're, they're at a tie. They both have one win. Thanks to the Jets' uh, unbelievable victory against the Rams, the Jags have the tiebreaker because they have a stronger strength of schedule. And so what's unbelievable is that uh, the Jags are now looking like the home for Trevor Lawrence going forward. And they also have a head coaching vacancy and they also have a, a, a GM vacancy and they also have a much, much superior roster, I would say, across the board. To the Jets. And so I think we were looking at Trevor Lawrence potentially entering purgatory and kind of like a Deshaun Watson situation where, you know, he might have one or two bright spots on the roster, but basically the coach, the GM, uh, the roster, everything was what would be working against him and he would have to overcome it to have any sort of success. And so I think we were, we were looking at that with Trevor Lawrence with the Jets. Um, and then now, with the Jags, I think he has a much, much brighter future ahead of him and a much earlier uh, path to success. So um, this is not locked in. You know, the Jags could still end up winning a game. But if this tie holds, then the tiebreaker goes to the Jags. And the the interesting thing about this is that that means that Trevor Lawrence would then be teaming up with DJ Chark, LaVisca Chenault, James Robinson, a uh, some some nice young pieces on the offensive line. And, you know, at the very least, some nice young pieces on the defense too. guys like Josh Allen, uh, CJ Henderson, you know, recent draft picks. There's a couple other guys that are worth noting as well. And Trevor Lawrence would be the center centerpiece of that team. So I think that uh, for football, this is good. This is better than the alternative. I think for the Jags, they couldn't be much more thrilled than this. But the other thing that's worth pointing out here is for the Jets, at least, is that they will all of a sudden be in contention for all these other great quarterback prospects if they so choose. I think that uh, Sam Darnold is probably going to be a fine quarterback in the NFL. I never was crazy about him as a prospect, but I don't think that it's really remotely fair to judge him based on his his tenure in New York because he has had the worst situation uh, with the exception of Josh Rosen during that time. He's had a bad offensive line. He's had very little skill position players to rely on. He's had the worst coach in the NFL. Um, and 
the defense hasn't been anything that you say, oh, my God, they're being carried by their defense. Sam Darnold it was a young prospect coming out. Uh, he was He's talented. He can make a lot of great throws. He's shown a ton of heart this year. I mean, this guy, you know, when he's running for like 60 yards on his own read for a winless team against, you know, it's just I've, I've come away impressed and on the side of Sam Darnold. Whereas when he was a prospect, I was I was all over Lamar Jackson that year. This is not hindsight bias. This is what I was. I was all over Lamar Jackson this year. I was skeptical about Josh Allen. I was not in on Sam Darnold, and I was a big fan of Baker Mayfield. Uh, Josh Rosen wasn't even on my radar. I didn't want uh, I didn't want to sniff him. Uh, but same with Josh Rosen's situation with Sam Darnold. I think that they have been dealt one of the least fair hands in terms of evaluating them uh, in the league. So I hope that both of them get chances elsewhere. Josh Rosen just got signed to the active roster for San Francisco. I actually think it's a pretty interesting spot for him because I don't know that they feel like Jimmy G is the guy uh, anymore. I don't know that they are uh, closing the book on their quarterback search at this point. So um, Sam Darnold, you know, there's a lot of talk about maybe he goes to Pittsburgh. I think that would be a great landing spot for him. I think that'd be a great move for Pittsburgh to go acquire him. If it costs like anything less than a second, like a second or less, I do it. Uh, honestly, if I'm Pittsburgh, because you need to figure out the quarterback situation, especially after Ben's week 15 performance, you need to figure that out because this this team is built to win. Now you've got a talented offense. You've got the best defense in the league. Uh, it's it's time to figure out the quarterback situation so you can be in contention like we're used to seeing for this team. All right. And so I think that basically does it for this episode. Um, obviously, episode 69, part one, we're going to have another part, uh, we think, on Saturday, assuming all goes to plan and everyone can make it um, where we are going to be talking about this weekend and DFS preview, best bets, that sort of thing, the usual stuff. So we appreciate you guys sticking with us in this crazy, crazy year. Um, you know, we hope that you're in your fantasy finals. If you are not, we hope that you do well in DFS and that you're giving that a shot because it's a good way to stay involved. Uh, you know, I guess one last piece of, of news for me, I am, I am uh, in my first fantasy basketball league ever, and I'm enjoying trying to apply some of this, uh, you know, in-depth fantasy football strategy and roster construction and what to look for and how to capitalize in a eight category NBA uh, fantasy basketball league. So I'm uh, enjoying that challenge, trying to take a game theory approach to it since I don't know the game half as well as I know uh, football. So if you have any tips or anyone to point me to besides establish the runs, uh, you know, great NBA product, then feel free to send it my way at Contessa Catch on Twitter. Of course, you know, we're going to continue to be updating our tools, the rock tools updated through week 15. Um, that is obviously contestacatch.com forward slash ROC. And then the DFS tool, contestacatch.com forward slash DFS. That will be updated this weekend as well, even though we've got the holiday. So, um, guys, if you, you know, you have anything that you need help with or you want uh, advice, tips, questions, whatever, you know where to find us. We still have a lot of people reaching out uh, to the Contesta Catch Twitter account at Contesta Catch. And uh, that's been great. You know, I'm excited to see how many of our of our followers are uh, in the finals and asking questions about their 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 last uh, last week of, of lineups here. So with that said, guys, thank you very much for tuning in. We appreciate you. We hope you continue to tune in uh, throughout the offseason and uh, the fantasy offseason, at least. And uh, best of luck in the finals for those of you in there and best of luck in DFS for those of you playing this weekend. So we'll catch you next time.